So we have to have other ways of of determining whether the sows are under chronic stress or not. So um, you mentioned productivity, and that is a big one. So chronically stressed sows will typically have um, reduced productivity levels. Um, so we will see maybe fewer born alive or more born dead piglets, um, more abortions as well. Um, and that's because stress, um, as it sort of affects the body, um, it, it does so by driving the immune response down. So if their immune response is down, um, the, the body's resources are obviously redirected to, to things other than um, performance, for example. So the sow is just trying to maintain the body condition and um, trying to fight disease that might also come as a result of uh, the immune system being driven down by the stress. So um, in, in the cases where animals are chronic, chronically stressed, we will see um, productivity going down. A whole new era of communication in the Canadian swine industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the Canadian and global swine industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. AX3 Digest is a highly digestible source of protein with a low level of potassium giving young animals a healthy start. Our nutrition group includes four companies, Nutrition Athena, Shakespeare Mill, Farmhouse, and Nutrition Partners, which serve swine producers all across Canada. Swine Veterinary Partners comprises four well-established clinics across Canada, Precision Veterinary Services, Premier SHP, Demeter Ontario, and Demeter Quebec. Welcome to the Swine It Podcast Show Canada, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the Canadian and global swine industry. Working with nature and not against it, piglets fed AX3 see significant and improved feed efficiency. Producers know the reality of needing to reduce antibiotic and zinc use. AX3 Digest is a highly digestible novel protein that promotes improved in barn performance, piglet health, and minimizes the need for zinc in the diet. For more information, visit www.protecta.com. That's www.protecta.com. So, hello everyone and welcome to today's episode of Swine It Canada podcast. I am Dan Columbus and I will be your host for today's episode. And with me today I have Dr. Martina Lagoda, who is a postdoctoral fellow at the Western College of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Saskatchewan. So thank you for joining us today, Martina. Thanks for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, just because you're, people may not be as, as aware of you, because you are fairly new to Canada too. So uh, I will just ask you to give maybe a brief introduction to yourself and your history and kind of your journey so far. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so my name is Martina Lagoda. Um, I came from Ireland, as you mentioned. I'm only here in Canada four months, so I'm fairly new to to the country and the industry here. Um, but in terms of my journey, um, in terms of training, I um, trained as a zoologist. So my bachelor's degree was in science, where I specialized in zoology. And then I moved on to study behavior and welfare at a master's level. Um, and my journey with pigs really began with my PhD project, because that's when I really um, 
started to, to study the species and um, yeah, having started that, I know I can say for sure I will never go back from, from pigs. Um, <laughs> I'm in pigs for life, but um, in terms of the work um, that I'm um, covering um, in swine, um, it's welfare related. So welfare and behavior and um, the topics that I've covered so far in my short career up to date, um, mainly focused on um, sow welfare and pig, piglet welfare. So my PhD topic covered um, a lot of issues surrounding chronic stress in sows and how that affects both the sow and the piglet. So, yeah, I think that that kind of covers it off to, yeah. off to date. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's interesting. It's a common thing that people seem to get. They get into swine and then they love it and they never leave. I don't know what it is about pigs. You just have to get past the smell, apparently. And then uh, yes. you, you, you love it and you, and you never go back. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so I guess you, you, you've already kind of talked about it a little bit. But t- so today we're going to focus on the stuff that you kind of did before arriving in Canada and you did mention with um, uh, sows. And so I know you've done work, you know, focusing on the cell biology and their movements and how that kind of affects uh, their behavior and, and locomotion. So, I mean, let's, let's, we'll get right into that. And, you know, what kind of like, why is that important? And, you know, what, what have you been doing and finding in that area? Yeah, perfect. Yeah. So, I think my PhD project, it's all in, in a European context. And um, in Europe, we've had um, group housing as a, as a rule sort of for the industry since 2013. So all of my work is sort of in that, um, in that context. And in saying that, I mean that um, having sows in groups is obviously good for their um, welfare because you know they get extra exercise um they can perform more of their natural behavioral um repertoire um but it also has some negative sides to it so there's a lot of aggression that goes on obviously in groups and um we know a lot about um mixing aggression and how that causes um acute short-term stress in those cells um, but we don't really know much about is the, the chronic stress. So there is a lot of factors in the environment um, that the sows are exposed to that, that can cause chronic stress. And this is what I've been focusing on um, in my PhD. So um, trying to investigate all of the different possible risk factors for chronic stress in the sows. And then also looking at um, how those factors um cause the chronic stress, um, how to measure the chronic stress, and the effects that it has on both the sow herself in terms of her welfare and productivity, because of course we we want to avoid the chronic stress in those animals um, because we want them to have good welfare, but we also want them to perform well for for the producers as the as the end goal. Um, and then following on from that, uh, we also wanted to know a little bit more about how that chronic stress experienced by the sow can possibly transfer onto the, the offspring as they develop um, in utero. Um, and that's known as prenatal stress. So it's a well-covered area in, in other species, but in pigs, it is still um, a little bit under-researched. So we, we really wanted to make that connection between the sow um, chronic stress and the piglet, because I think if we can address um, the chronic stress at sow level um, and prevent that transferring onto the offspring and sort of protect the offspring from it, then that's always going to be a benefit because, um, yeah, we want those piglets to be productive as well. At the end of the day, they are the, the market, the production animals, so we want them to do well. 
So yeah, the, the topic that I've covered um, sort of focused around that. And you mentioned um, the locomotion, looking at that in, in the south, and that comes into play because um, locomotion relates to lameness, and lameness obviously is a very painful disorder for the sows, uh, for the pigs overall. Um, so it is a potential chronic stress risk factor, and that's why we, we looked at it as part of my, my studies as well. Yeah, so I was going to ask about like what factors you specifically looked at. I guess you mentioned locomotion was one of them. Like, so what are some of the other things that you've kind of looked at that have that's or that seem to have a, an impact on the on the the chronic stress? Yeah, so um, as the sort of start off to my PhD, I did a literature review to to sort of get a you know idea for for what knowledge do we have on this on this topic of chronic stress. Um, so I looked at at the potential um, risk factors and just looking at papers, seeing if um, whatever they study, um, does that have any potential um, result um, in terms of cortisol levels. Um, and cortisol, I mentioned cortisol um, because cortisol is really the main um, way of measuring stress. So, um, and on the chronic scale, we we would typically measure um, chronic stress using um, cortisol in hair. So I can discuss that at a, a later point as well, if we come to it. But um, yeah, so some of the factors that I came across that do um, potentially cause chronic stress in sows include um, lameness, as I already said, um, but also so these factors would relate to both the physical and the social um, aspects of the of the sow's environment. So some of the physical ones would be um, the the group size and group type that the sows are in. So we could have um, stable or dyna- dynamic groups, and that causes um, different interactions between the sows. Obviously, so also um, influences their behavior um, in terms of things like aggression. So it, it does drive the, the stress levels in different ways. Um, the design of the pen uh, would be another physical um, aspect of the environment that could cause chronic stress. So, for example, um, having pens that have um, hiding areas or um, even free um, access feed installs um, in, in systems that use that kind of system, um, these basically create areas for the sows to escape into and avoid the aggressors in their environment. So, um Having a pen with those hidden um, either barriers or little sort of areas that the pen, uh, the sows can escape into usually is good for um, reducing chronic stress uh, because it just allows the sows to, to escape those stressful situations. Um, floor is another um, factor in the physical environment as well that affects um, chronic stress and that plays into lameness because we know that having sows on um, fully slatted concrete floors is not great for their um, lameness status. Um, It's very uncomfortable to be on those floors. It leads to a lot of um, injuries, especially when they fight at mixing. Um, Their claws can get injured and that can then develop into more serious um, lameness. So that also drives up the the, the chronic stress levels because that pain that is experienced as part of lameness, um, it's not just, you know, it doesn't go away after um, any period of time. It usually stays on and affects the the sow um, on a longer scale. So I think in terms of the the physical factors, that sort of um, enrichment is is, um, another one. Um, So provision of enrichment, of course, um, helps with uh, driving down the chronic stress levels because it allows the sows to um, perform their natural behaviors that they're really motivated for. Um, 
So I think that covers the physical factors. And then in terms of the social factors, I sort of touched on that already, um, aggression and the structure of the group in terms of the um, status of the animals. So um, the proportion of dominant to subordinate animals in, in the group obviously has an effect um, if we have many bullies in the pen um, that sort of um, drive the stress levels up in the less um, dominant animals, that, that is a factor that contributes. Um, also, the individual factors, um, individual sow factors, rather, uh, that can contribute to stress levels. So, for example, having a group of sows that's not balanced for um, parity um, can be a problem because having a lot of older sows can mean that there is more dominant animals and that obviously affects the behavior in the group and drives the stress levels up as well. And then another factor um, that's sort of um, more known in, in other aspects, so we look at it when we um, look at the productivity of sows is heat stress as well. So that, that also can contribute a lot to, to chronic stress. And I think now with the change in climate and um, temperatures going up in, in countries, so for example, I'm from, um, from Ireland. Um, summers in Ireland are not particularly hot, but for the past few um, years, the temperatures have definitely been out of the normal range. And um, I mean, farms in countries like Ireland are not really... Um, I suppose, made for hot weather. So, um, you know, it's difficult for those sows. Um, it's those sort of exceptional conditions can really have an impact. And um, we know that, yeah, pigs are very sensitive to to heat stress. So that is a big factor as well. Yeah, it's probably a very similar situation to, to Canada. And it's interesting to be talking about heat stress when we're moving into winter and people are <laughs> yeah. starting to bundle up. But, you know, we do have the same thing. Our barns are made more for protecting against the cold than probably against the heat. But yeah, a, a lot of things to consider. It's clearly not mm. an easy uh, area or, or, or thing to kind of optimize. Um, you mentioned that you, you measure cortisol as like your main kind of mm. indicator of the chronic stress, but I'm wondering, you know, on the other, other side of it, what would be some of the outcomes that would, that would happen as a result of these chronic stress, like from a productivity standpoint or, or something along those lines? Yeah, so that's a good point because, yeah, cortisol is really the sort of gold standard um, when measuring stress, but there are other um, methods of doing it. So, um, just going back to cortisol, it's not always possible to control for every single factor that might affect cortisol levels. So, um, for example, when we do studies in a commercial setting, it's that that would not be possible to control for everything. So we have to have other ways of of determining whether the cells are under chronic stress or not. So um you mentioned productivity and that is a big one so chronically stressed sows will typically have um, reduced productivity levels um so we will see maybe fewer born alive or more born dead piglets um more abortions as well um and that's because stress um as it sort of affects the body um it, it does so by driving the immune response down so if their immune response is down, um, the the body's resources are obviously redirected to to things other than um, 
performance, for example. So the sow is just trying to maintain the body condition and um, trying to fight disease that might also come as a result of uh, the immune system being driven down by the stress. So um, in in the cases where animals are chronic chronically stressed, we will see um, productivity going down. Um, and also, as I've already mentioned, disease as well. Susceptibility to disease will be um, increased as well with uh, chronically stressed animals. Um, so that's sort of immunity and the health side of things. But um, we can also determine whether animals are under chronic stress. Um, and that's not just in, in pigs. This is really applicable to, to other species as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so another way would be to look at their behavior. So um, in pigs, uh, from my own studies even, um, we've shown that uh, chronically stressed sows would have higher levels of stereotypies. So stereotypies are those behaviors that are sort of functionless, um, unvarying, repetitive uh, behaviors, and the animals would typically perform them when they are frustrated. They're not able to... Um, perform their natural behaviors that they're highly motivated for and um, stereotypies are their way of coping with with that stressful environment around them. So um, yeah, chronically stressed sows show um, significantly higher levels of stereotypies than um, animals that are not stressed. So yeah, I think these are good indicators to to look out for um, when when trying to, we don't just have to measure the cortisol to know that an animal um, might be under stress. Yeah. So because obviously, like you said, cortisol is one of the big ones uh, that's usually used. And you you mentioned measuring it in hair. And I know that this Mm -hmm. is a big thing that's uh, coming out out of the group that you're now in, you know, and and trying to optimize this. So maybe we'll we'll take the opportunity now because we're talking about it to to discuss that aspect of it and what it, you know, why we would be looking at it in hair and, and why that's important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So being in this group now, um, a lot of work here is being done on hair cortisol. And I really like that because I can learn a lot and compare the methods that I've used um, in my PhD to, to, you know, what's being done here. And that's really nice because, um, as I've mentioned, with um, hair cortisol especially, there's not a lot of research done on it in pigs. It's, it's, it's constantly growing now, which is good. Um, but we still don't know a lot about it. So, for example, we don't really know how the cortisol is incorporated into the hair. So um, there is that issue of um, trying to decide whether we should pluck the hair or shave it um, to not include the hair for- follicle because we don't know if there is cortisol actually being produced um, in the hair fo- follicle itself or does it all just come from the from the bloodstream. Um, so there is... You know, lots of unknowns um, when it comes to hair cortisol. Um, and there's also a lot of factors that affect the, the, the level of cortisol, like I already mentioned. Um, and performance studies on com- commercial farms, it's not always possible to control for all of that. So when I say there is lots of things that affect it, I mean things like hair color, um, the sex of the animal, stage of pregnancy, or even the level of contamination on the animal's body. So for example, um, having the, the animal covered in feces and urine, which is obviously the case on um, on farm um, conditions, um, that can really affect the cortisol levels because the cortisol in the feces and urine um, can then be incorporated into the hair. So then we don't know how much of the cortisol came from um, the contamination or from the actual bloodstream of, of the animal to represent the, the animal's stress response. So um, 
yeah, hair cortisol is really a tricky one. Um, and the method um, that I used, I was able to use it both on a commercial farm and in a research farm scenario. Um, and this is, again, when those factors that affect the, the levels and can um, sort of bias our results come in because um, on the commercial farm, I wasn't able to control for a lot of these factors. And um, in my studies performed at that level, I had no significant results when it comes to hair cortisol. But then when they were performed in a research scenario, um, I had nice significant results. So yeah, it just goes to show um, how tricky some measures can be. Um, and that's why I, I like being here as well, because I can learn what what perhaps they're doing differently to to improve the method. Um, but yeah, another thing about hair cortisol is that um, or really about the, the stress response of an animal, um, it's very individual. So every animal responds to stress differently. And um, when an animal is chronically stressed, the, the stress axis of the animal can respond in different ways, depending on that individual. So some animals, when chronically stressed, um, they might actually have a blunted stress response. So then we don't see levels as high as we would expect for a stressed animal. Um, and then in other individuals, we might see, um, for example, a heightened response to stress. So a chronically stressed animals, funnily enough, might um, actually be um, hyper reactive to, to acute short term stress. So it's a very individualistic response. And that's why it's so difficult to generalize it and, and measure it at group level. And I think with most studies um, to, to date, the focus has been on group level and not really on individual level. And I think to accurately know more about how individuals respond to stress, we really should be moving towards focusing on those um, individual animals because, yeah, they're all individuals. They all react differently. Um, they just have their own individual personalities that affects it. I think it makes sense, you know, when we're starting to look, We it's the same thing in nutrition where we, we look at the group response to mm -hmm. what we're feeding instead of the individual. And now with looking at precision feeding, we're finding out how different, you know, each individual requirement is and how they respond and how efficient they are. Right. So it's kind of very similar where it's like, yeah, well, we look at the individual animal, it complicates things really, really badly, yeah, you know, yeah. to think of like, how are you actually looking at it? But that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I guess then getting back and maybe coming um, uh, to one of the other topics that you looked at, because when you're, you, you're talking about outcomes, you focused a lot on the sow, right? But you mentioned mm. that you've also looked at, you know, that prenatal stress and how it affects the offspring. So maybe let's just, we'll discuss that for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a really nice part of my, my work because that's the part that really links into the, the, the production side of things, because this is where we try to influence the offspring, the market animals, uh, to make them more productive and ensure that they have better welfare. So as I said, prenatal stress is that phenomenon where um, if the mother, uh, while she is pregnant, while she experiences um, chronic stress, that stress will be um, transferred onto the offspring as they develop in utero. So um, usually this is hormonally mediated. So the cortisol levels in the mother um, 
will transfer across the placenta to the, the offspring as they develop. Um, and those cortisol levels then ending up in the offspring, they actually um, altered the development of the offspring's stress response axis. Um, and that in turn means that later on in life, they uh, might have altered stress coping abilities, um, different behaviors to piglets that came from non-stressed mothers. Um, for example, they might show higher levels of aggression. Um, and um, we've also seen effects on their immunity levels. So they are less um, resistant to, to disease. So um, overall, their productivity is detrimentally affected by, by the mother being chronically stressed during pregnancy. So we obviously don't want that. Um, we want to protect the piglets from that. So um, my work, um, and specifically my the, the last study in my PhD, focused on trying to reduce the chronic stress levels in the mother to then influence the piglets. And so maybe if I describe this study, I will sort of put it into context. So basically we had two, um, two, two groups of cells, a control and a treatment. And in the treatment, we improved the gestational environment of the cells um, in terms of both um, psychological well-being and also physical well-being. So we added um, racks with straw for the sows as enrichment to stimulate their natural behaviors. Um, we gave them some rope to chew on as well, and we put in um, rubber mats in the feed installs for more comfort while um, resting. Um, and we did all of that to sort of um, improve the welfare of the cells overall. Um, we had a number of measures taken as well to, to, to measure the welfare of the cells and the, the chronic stress levels of the cells. Um, and then in comparison to that, the control group had just a standard conventional environment without any of the, the improvements. Same type of pen, just none of the improvements. Um, and then we followed those cells um, up until the end of lactation, and we looked at um, how their piglets developed in terms of their um, health and um, resilience and welfare measures as well. So the main results um, coming from that, which we were really happy about, was that we saw um, lower levels of scour in the piglets that came from the improved um, sow group. So the sows that had higher welfare and lower chronic stress levels in pregnancy ended up producing piglets that were more um, resilient, um, better sort of resistant to to disease and they had lower scour levels and i think that's a really important result in the whole context of um, antimicrobial resistance that we're all trying to sort of combat now at the moment um having piglets that are um more resistant to disease basically means they will be better able to cope with um with disease challenges later on in life and that just means we'll have to use less antibiotics to to treat them um, which helps to prevent the, the antimicrobial resistance that we're trying to combat. So um, it also means lower costs for, for medication that the farmer needs to incur. So, um, yeah, we were really happy about that result because it really did show that link between the, the south stress levels and the piglet um, welfare and resilience um, in, in early life. But so in this study, we really focused on the early life. But uh, from other studies, um, we know that, that these are long lasting effects. So um, it really is a long term um, benefit to, to improve the, the environment and the well-being of the, of the sows in gestation to, to reap those benefits in terms of the piglet productivity even later on. Yeah, it's, it's really good that you, you saw that, right? It, it just 
just to show yet another benefit of providing this environment to the SAOs, right? It's not just about meeting code requirements or something like that. Like it will actually help in the yeah. long run. And even with the piglets, which I think, you know, we tend to separate once they're off the SAO, it's like now they're a different problem. And and so, <laughs> and a lot of the, the ways that we've been trying to mm. look at nursery performance and stuff like that has been more related to nutrition and other aspects yeah. and not even thinking like, well, what came first? Right. And how that how that impacts. So exactly. Be very interesting. Yeah. yeah. So maybe for the, the last little bit of the, the episode today, we'll switch gears a little bit and talk about what you are going to be focusing on in your postdoc now at WCVM. Uh, I think it's related to carcass uh, measurements, mm-hmm. but I might be wrong. You're right. Yes. <laughs> okay. No, you're correct. Uh, yeah. So uh, we'll just uh, let you maybe introduce that and, and what you'll be working on. Yeah, so the project that I'm on now, um, it's uh, I'm part of Dr. Yolan Seddon's um, swine welfare group here at the University of Saskatchewan. So it's really nice for me to switch to to grower finisher pigs coming from, you know, my PhD where I focused on sows and piglets. Now I can sort of um, get to know other stages of pig production um, much better. So that's very nice for me. Um, but the, the project itself um, that I'm currently working on is part of the NSERC IRC in swine welfare, uh, where Dr. Seddon is, is the chair of that. Um, and the project basically is investigating the potential of carcass-based um, indicators um, to, to be able to to use those indicators and tell us retrospectively something about the welfare um, that those pigs ex- experienced both on farm and also in pre-slaughter handling. And we're focusing on um, the carcass-based indicators because it's a good way to improve welfare assessment in pigs. Um, and this is because the the sort of method that we currently have for assessing welfare um, in pigs, while these methods are very effective, they are only being performed on farm. And that comes with a lot of um, issues such as, um, yeah, the main thing being um, risk to biosecurity. They're also very time consuming. Um, they can be ex- expensive. And um, in Canada, as I understand it, they're only really performed um, once a year. And it's not always done by a third party as well. So um, they're done by people. So there's potential for human error and bias to, to come in as well. So switching that um, welfare assessment from um, the on-farm stage to, to the slaughter stage um, would really overcome a lot of those issues and that's why we want to know whether we can um, use those carcass indicators um, to link back to the welfare that the animals experienced um, on farm. And then, um, so that's sort of the first part of the project. And the second part is to um, investigate the potential to to automate this um, welfare assessment um, system um, using computer vision. So we are collaborating here um, at the university with a computer engineering team um, who are developing um, an algorithm, a computer vision system, which can um, detect the carcasses, the different sides of the carcass, so the, the side and the back of the carcass. Um, so this part is actually complete. We are successfully able to, to detect those different sides of the carcass. And um, the next step in that is to um, teach the, the algorithm to actually pick out the specific um, lesions, so those carcass-based um, indicators to 
yeah, to basically automate the system and to, to um, potentially scale it up to commercial levels. So if we are able to do that, um, the data can be easily collected at the slaughterhouse um, and it can then easily be um, stored, looked at and basically used as um, a way of providing feedback to the producers on, on the welfare um, levels that, that we see in, in their animals as they come to, to the slaughter stage. So I think it would really have, um, would it will have a really good effect on on welfare and um, just helping producers to to improve their management practices by pinpointing the the different issues that might be happening, but also um, showing them where um, what they are doing is going well. So so it's a sort of you know. Yeah, we can tell them the positives and, and maybe the, the areas that um, need a little bit more work to it to improve the welfare and ultimately um, improve their um, own productivity of the farm as well, because um, welfare is always linked to, to better productivity and um, more sort of economic gain from, from the carcasses as they go to slaughter. Yeah, I mean, obviously, feedback would be a very good thing for the producers to have to see, you know, uh, if there is there appears to be a problem or whatever, and maybe this is a loaded question, but do you, do you think that there might be something where if it's like you see these issues, then that then maybe spurs to a visit or something to kind of be like, what what's going on? Let's let's see what's happening, or or is it just more? Do you think along the lines of here's some feedback you might want to improve, but uh, we'll leave it at that. Um, I mean, I suppose we will have to see how the tool is implemented on farm and whether it is uh, wh- whether there is uptake of it. But I think it could, um, yeah, lead to to visits um, to to sort of help the producers to to work on the issues that they might be having um, and just yeah, basically to to help them address um, whatever problems are seen. Um, to help them move towards um, both better welfare, but also better productivity for them. Yep. Yeah. Just like just another tool, the same thing we do with carcass measures yeah. for quality, right? It's like, okay, well, you might want to adjust your nutrition or something like that as a result of, of exactly. what we're seeing. It's another yeah. thing. And, you know, realizing mm-hmm. that, you know, anything that improves the welfare and obviously reduces lesions or other issues is only going to be a benefit. Mm-hmm. Right? So, yeah. That's right. Yeah. And it's yeah. And also at the national level, um, this tool could potentially be used in, in things like benchmarking and setting of, of standards. So um, ultimately, it could help really um, improve welfare of animals um, at national level and also help the, the industry overall in Canada to 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 improve its productivity. And that's the ultimate goal, because, yeah, we are working with producers and we both want the same thing. So, yeah. It would yeah. be nice to see uptake of this. Yeah, no, very, very good point that, you know, it's from a benchmarking perspective, but it is as an industry, this is what we want, right? We want to take care of the animals and and, and exactly, do the best yeah. that we can for them and, and move on that, like at a mm-hmm. national level and maybe even, uh, you know, on the international as a <laughs> kind of yeah. get the information. For out sure. There, right? yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I think very good. Um, so, Lots of information, great information, I think, and hopefully, you know, the people listening um, get something out of the the episode, you know, out of something in there. But um, I guess if you wanted the listeners to get like one or two take home messages from today's episode, what would that be? I suppose for as maybe a piece of advice, um, 
for students. So I've just, I still feel like I'm a student, really. I don't really, <laughs> you know, I just, I only completed my PhD earlier this year. So I'm still in that mindset. But maybe a piece of advice for students is to don't be afraid to to go for it and put yourself out there. Um, for me, coming to Canada is an example of that. I really, really wanted to come here and to work in the pig industry here. Um, and it took a bit of time, but I finally did it. So I think and, and that came as a result of me trying to push myself outside of my own box and out of my own comfort um, zone. So in terms of that, I would say um, students just sort of go for it and follow your dreams. Um, and then another sort of take home message from my work, I suppose, would be to try and always think of the bigger picture because like you said going back to that sow and the piglet we don't always link up the different stages but everything is linked so whatever we do with the sow will affect her offspring later on so it's good to consider things as an overall and not just separate parts i think it's always good to think of the bigger picture and that really applies in in many areas not just not just the work that i've done or the pig industry applies everywhere i think yeah yeah definitely i think great messages it's time for our famous three okay so before i let you go we ask uh three questions of all our guests Perfect, uh, so yeah. our, our first one hopefully you you've thought about this um so our first one is what would be your favorite or go-to swine related resource or book yeah so that's a really nice question um and it brings me to this resource that is really um new because it, the, the, it's a website uh, it was launched only a few weeks ago um it's called paw and that stands for positive animal welfare so it's been collated by um, researchers from SRUC, so that's Scotland's uh, Rural College. Um, and it's a, while it's a resource for really all species, um, there is some really good information on pig welfare and specifically improving positive welfare in pigs. So currently in the area, um, we're really trying to uh, not only minimize the negative welfare experiences that uh, pigs have, but we're also trying to promote the, the positive welfare in pigs. So this website just has a lot of nice um, information facts on positive welfare in pigs, but also um, has current research that's happening in the area and um, links to different potential groups that um, are working on this. So, yeah, there's just a lot of good information on positive pig welfare there, which is worth checking out. Yeah, great. Hope it's, it's always good to have those resources and that information available instead of, you know, stuck behind a paywall in a journal. Exactly. So uh, yeah. great. Hopefully people check that out. Um, so our, the next question then is, you know, thinking outside of pigs, what would be a favorite book or, or something that you would recommend people mm -hmm. go out and get from the bookstore? For me, really, any Stephen King novel is a <laughs> is a good read um, always. But um, in terms of a more science related subject, um, I really liked um, Temple Grandin's and Catherine Johnson's um, Animals in Translation. Um, I just think for animal welfare and behavior people, it's a great way to try and put yourself in the animal's shoes to really understand their behavior and how they're um, experiencing and perceiving the environment around them. Um, so if you're trying to really get into that mindset of how is the animal thinking and understanding what they are doing and why they are doing it, this is a really great book. Um, it's 
written in a nice, um, easy language. And there's a, little, a lot of um, little anecdotes in it that are really sort of interesting. So I would recommend that one. Yeah. One of my biggest academic celebrity moments was uh, meeting Temple Grandin for the first time and having her sign wow. my copy of Animals in oh, Translation. Great. So I have a, <laughs> I have a sign that copy. That would be a dream. Too. And perfect. I'm definitely a Stephen King fan too. So I would recommend that, that as well. So, <laughs> um, okay. So our last question then is when you think back at uh, leaders or mentors that you've had, or if you think to swine producers that you've worked with, you know, like what is a characteristic that makes some of those uh, more successful than others mm -hmm. or, or particularly good at what they do? Mm -hmm. I think for any leader in any area, it's always good to be able to keep your head sort of in the game and clear when when things happen, when problems <laughs> pop up. And that always happens, you know, when um, things fall apart, keeping your cool is always a good way to, to be. And I think any leader should, should have that skill. And that kind of plays into resilience. So just like I said, you know, we want the piglets to be resilient. Um, we also want the leaders to be resilient because, yeah, if you're able to sort of recover from from the bad experience from any yeah, challenge that comes your way, um, that really defines that you're a good leader, I suppose, and you're able to keep going with it despite any sort of, yeah, whatever happens, um, just leave it in the past and move on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I've, I've heard that also referred to as grit, if you have the, okay. the grit, which is also a book recommendation. It's called Grit, and it's all about that ability. It's It's not um it's not the setback it's how you respond to the setback right yeah and, exactly and yeah. that is a very key feature in who's successful yeah yeah so yeah no yeah great great yeah. point um okay i that brings us to the end uh so i will thank you again for agreeing to come on and hopefully you know you you had a good experience and uh again the audience i i think will will really enjoy this episode Thank you. Yeah, this was great for me as well. So thanks for having me again. And I really enjoyed chatting about this. So yeah, thank you. Looking to elevate your brand and captivate audiences through the power of podcasting? Look no further. Introducing the custom podcast brought to you by Wisemetics, where we take care of the behind the scenes so that you can focus on what truly matters. Podcasting has become an invaluable tool for brand awareness, but let's face it, putting it into practice can be a daunting task. It's incredibly time consuming and requires technical know-how, but don't worry, we've got you covered. With our experienced team at The Help, we'll handle the operational aspects so you can channel your energy into what your company does best. Are you ready to unleash the podcasting potential of your company? Schedule a call with one of our specialists today at the link in the bottom of this episode. You'll also receive a free podcast strategy consult tailored to the unique needs and goals of your business.